Welcome to The Owl Hoot, a podcast for the environmentally curious, with me, Caroline Norbury. On each episode, I chat with a guest who contributes in some way to protecting the planet on matters of climate change, sustainability, biodiversity and pollution. Here is a place where you can gain new knowledge and be inspired. Enjoy listening. Today, I am talking with Jess Drain, a climate and socially conscious textile designer specialising in embroidery. Jess gained a first class degree in textiles innovation and design at Loughborough University in 2020 and won the Innovate UK Young Innovators Award in 2021. Since graduating, she has founded a sustainable accessories business called Overbloom, whilst working as the marketing lead for Tail Production Limited, a video marketing company. I'm so pleased to be chatting with Jess about how her values have shaped her work life and the practicalities of operating a sustainable and ethical fashion business. So welcome Jess to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. No, you are most welcome. I'm really excited about um, having our conversation today. So uh, let me start by asking you about your childhood. I was wondering how or what you can tell me about that, that led you to lean into environmental concerns? Yeah, so I grew up in a pretty regular family. I grew up in the Midlands. My whole family, we were kind of grew up as meat eaters and I was never the biggest fan, just like personal taste. I wasn't really aware of anything to do with the environment. I kind of like knew in the back of my mind that it was good for the environment not to eat meat but I had no idea why or how and then when I was about 12 I went on a trip to France for school and there was this guy that was vegetarian and he had the most delicious looking meals made for him that were bought out and I had to eat lamb and beef and I always hated those I, I just hated it so much I always picked it out of like roast dinner I'd always try and eat the chicken last and so I got home from this trip and I told my dad because he was did the, the cooking in the house and um, I am turning vegetarian and I've been vegetarian ever since so that's about 13 years now um, and I just have never looked back I think because for me I've always I've never enjoyed the taste or the feel of meat um, I remember in year six sats we all got given bacon butties and I literally took the bacon out and I gave it to my friends and I just ate the buttered <laughs> butty <laughs> But then as I kind of grew up, I just became increasingly aware about environmentalism and the impact that meat has on that. I watched, you know, just Dave Asman programmes when I was growing up. And then for like my English essays in GCSE, I did a bit of research around vegetarianism and the impact of meat on the environment. So that was my kind of introduction at a very kind of basic level to the environment and meat and that I'd say that was my grounding in it and I always knew that I wanted to go into fashion and textiles but it wasn't until kind of later on that these two parts of my life kind of crossed over. That is so interesting that you talk about your vegetarianism or becoming a vegetarian and it's those things that are within our sort of everyday lives that can connect us with something in, the, in exactly the way that you've described. So you've told me a bit about how the environmental came on your ra radar. What about the creative side? Because you clearly are creative. Where did that come about? 
that's also a bit of an awkward because no one in my family is creative both my parents worked in kind of like the water industry or care or teaching and neither of my sisters are artistic they're kind of both in humanities and social sciences but I was the only one who pursued art but I just remember being about 10 and I got a little booklet and I started to cut out like clothes for models and kind of looking at catwalks and I just really distinctly remember thinking in year six this is what I want to do I want to do fashion I want to do design I want to be creative and my kind of previous school in the Midlands I was in an art class where the art teacher wasn't that encouraging and I kind of was made to feel like I wasn't that good and like my friends were kind of better than me and it wasn't something that I should bother with but I moved schools and then in year six I had this incredible teacher who kind of changed my life and she was so supportive she would really really encourage me to pursue art because she could tell that I really enjoyed it and I think it's that was also the time where I decided that this is what I want to do because I've been given a kind of a little bit of encouragement and I like I guess an external validation I kind of vote of confidence that this was something that I could do which I think is naturally encouraging to anyone absolutely and again as you rightly say that human interaction with a really good or a less good teacher can have such an impact on the direction of a young person's life I'm, I'm glad you had that second teacher that was able to give you a bit of a boost to your confidence so that you thought right I can definitely go with this so it was obviously at a young age that you took on the creative sense of direction uh, what did you do at university and what was life like then with those two worlds colliding? So I I did an art foundation course, which was probably the best decision I ever made. I had always been quite impatient my whole life. I was kind of impatient to get to the next level of education or work or achievements. And so I felt really behind when I didn't go to university straight away like most of my friends. But I stayed in Devon where I lived with my family and did an art foundation course and I thought I want to go to London and I want to do fashion and then I did my foundation course and actually realised that it's texture and colour and pattern that I really loved it wasn't necessarily the construction of garments and so that led me into textiles rather than fashion and it was the best thing I ever did I absolutely loved my course so I went to Loughborough University to study textiles and the course was amazing Loughborough wasn't like a thriving hub of uh, creativity or it, it definitely wasn't London but I kind of relished the student community that we had there and the community we had within the art school it was a, a really small art school so only three art courses whereas at an arts university you'll have maybe like a hundred different arts courses all of they're very kind of specific but for us it was just textiles fine art graphics that was it and so it allowed it to be quite broad which I really enjoyed so there was lots of different pathways within textiles you could do print weave multimedia or digital pathway and I chose multimedia which was again the broadest so you could do plastics ceramics metalwork embroidery basically anything that didn't fit into the other categories so I loved it for that and it allowed me to really explore and to gain confidence in my own craft rather than kind of being constrained by the course and the the pathway that I'd chosen. 
it sounds like you definitely made the right decision and picked well and it suited you by the sounds of it so you're on the course that you love doing and it obviously taught you lots of things about lots of you know quite a varied as you say broad where did the environmentalism or sort of climate activism come into play so i was at the i kind of went through the whole of my first year just kind of making friends acclimatizing to university um getting used to my course figure out what to do chose my pathway and then at the start of second year, a friend posted on Facebook that there had been a kind of like non-violent climate action that happened on campus. And it was with a organisation called People and Planet, who are a student-led activist network um, that run kind of nationally across all the universities in the UK. And I'd never heard of them before, but I kind of liked and shared what they'd done on Facebook and then my friend messaged me and was like oh we've got we're running meetings there's one on Monday do you want to come along and I was like yeah absolutely I'd love to come along and they were running a they just started running a campaign called the fossil free campaign which was campaigning for Loughborough University to divest from fossil fuel investments and now a really good friend of mine Jay reached out and they just said they're so friendly and personable and they said we're having the meeting do you want to come along um you're more than welcome if you know anyone else that you think would be interested bring them along too and that was my very very first introduction to anything to do with climate activism um activism in general and I got involved um kind of playing a part of social media campaigner and videographer so I had kind of made films in the past just a family days out and I had basic knowledge of video editing software and so I kind of went along to actions that we did on campus and across the town and I recorded it on just my camera and my phone and edited that together so that we could publish it on social media and get a much bigger reach rather than just the 20-30 minute action that we were actually doing um it allows you to have thousands and thousands of views online and so that was my yeah initial introduction to collectivism and throughout the whole of my second year at university we ran that campaign for nine months and I think it was one of the shortest successful campaigns that was run and we got the university to divest £132,000 from fossil fuel investments by the end of that nine months um, and I just became more and more involved in People and Planet throughout my time at university. And I went to the national gatherings, which happened in summer. And it was camping in a field in Kent or Manchester for five days. And we would have days of workshops of everything to do with kind of protesting, um, civil disobedience, intersectional environmentalism. I learned so many incredible things, met so many incredible people that I just never would have been able to like connect with um elsewhere and that was inevitably going to cross over into my design work and so I went on placement year after that and I kind of had time to work in industry think about what I, the activism I've been involved with during my second year and the direction I wanted to take my work when I got back to university in my final year and I think that time was actually really really important for me to process and think about what I'd learned the people I've met and um, kind of nourish those connections as well absolutely yeah. and 
the divestment of, of, of money and fossil fuels. Had you heard about that angle for, about, you know, how it related to climate before before you going to this meeting? Absolutely not. I'd, I hadn't even heard of the word divestment. I had no idea what it meant. I had no idea that universities had investments in fossil fuel companies. The, the concept of that to me is still kind of wild that we have that. Um, and so learning that and then at the same time kind of like working on all the behind the scenes um, agreements and people from our group would go to meetings with kind of the vice chancellor of the university and other people in kind of very high up leadership roles within the university was a, a very kind of confronting experience and I think it was a little bit overwhelming because I kind of didn't have the context before I went right into it but I learned I learned so so much through that experience. Yeah, it sounds like you know you were obviously successful and in a quite a short period of time. Why was that? Why was it so easy to persuade them to to withdraw their money from those investments? I think it was due to the the team and the people that we had. So Jay and Steph who they were they were big players in the group and I admire them so, so much. They were so committed to the campaign. And I think it was largely due to their commitment and vision that they had. They they thought so broadly and were so forward thinking about where the university should be. And I think it takes that huge leap of kind of mindset shift to then be able to create change because if you kind of start thinking small and you think oh well maybe we can just get them to use I don't know biodegradable cups in the cafe rather than plastic I don't know something really kind of small like that but they went straight in and they were like no we can get this university to divest over a hundred thousand pounds worth of investments and it was I think through that and the kind of no matter how many times we were told no, how many times the door was shut in our face, how many times, you know, the kind of heckling we received on campus and online, it it didn't affect us at all. The motivation was still there. Where was that heckling coming from? It was from just a, a few kind of individuals on like Facebook groups. It was kind of like, I think we were the butt of quite a few jokes on like, university Facebook groups which actually provided great social media content for us I think it it didn't it didn't dampen our kind of passion for what we were doing so if anything it was kind of we joked about it in meetings and we were like oh look at look at what's been said about us online this week um yeah just kind of jokes memes a lot of memes we could talk for at least for 30 minutes just on that alone, which I won't, but it's it's a fascinating thing because it builds resilience within the group. Uh, and, and, you know, that's not an easy thing to face criticism from outside, but that if you step your toe into strong discussions about change, then inevitably you're going to get pushback from some, some community or another. So I think that was a really useful experience for you as a group to have. And the fact that you were able to, to, rebuff that and go no it's more important we carry on is a testament to you as a group uh, and, and really nice story to hear and I imagine through that process you 
you got that communication going in in areas within the university that lots of people would not have thought about investments through universities to fossil fuels that connection would have been a surprise i'm sure to many or just hadn't really considered it so just raising that awareness is, is a huge achievement and i can see how going through that act actions with the group and then having that year out when you're thinking about what you want to do as a future is a really poignant time for thinking about all these things together. So you come into your fourth year. Have you already by that idea, uh, by that time then sort of consolidated all this information, all this action to a clear direction? So I had started learning about different materials that were being used and research that was being done in the textile space. So, and that was, I guess I was motivated to start looking for that online by the kind of actions and the work that I'd done within the activist space. Um, and I think once I started reading about the alternative materials, so there was an example of a professor, I think it was at Chelsea um, College of Arts in London, and they started using non-woven cellulose material, aka something like tissue paper for clothing to kind of show the extreme of ultra fast fashion that can only be worn once but then at the end of its life it can be composted into the ground in several days several weeks and that doesn't have the same impact as polyester which the earth it's, it's still technically you know a material that the earth creates it's through crude oil um that just takes millions of years for the earth to create it rather than, I don't know, several months or years um, for like regeneratively going trees. And that polyester can be worn once, it can be thrown away. If it's recaptured into a fully circular recycling system, then that's fine because it can be kind of recycled into something brand new, but that's very often doesn't happen. And we don't really have the infrastructure for it at the moment. And it also takes a lot of energy to recycle those things. You're making really, really useful points about the fashion industry as a whole and the pros and cons of which direction they take. And we all think we're doing brilliantly if we recycle our clothes, but it's it's not. It shouldn't perhaps be the first point of call within the industry uh, to, to to recycle. No, often you kind of put your clothes in Salvation Army bins, and they are it's called downcycling, where they're kind of turned into rags and often sold off to Africa for kind of just money and it's not recycled, it's just put into landfill. Um, or often they say it's zero to landfill, which actually means that they're incinerating quite a lot of the um, rubbish or waste or textiles. And even I, when I was working in a cafe, was like, oh, the, the waste collection is zero to landfill. That's amazing. It must mean that everything gets fully recycled. And then someone mentioned to me, no, it's often just burnt and not recycled. Um, so it's a very, a very complex answer. There is no blanket solution. We sh there's no kind of, yeah, we should just recycle everything or yeah, everything should just be made to be modular and be able to take it apart and replaced. It's a nuanced answer that needs to be kind of fit for purpose for different industries or different solutions. So tell me a bit about how in your, the direction that you've gone into is very entrepreneurial. You've decided to do something from scratch. How, how did that come about? So I think that kind of 
mainly came about through graduating in the middle of COVID. So I graduated pretty much in the first lockdown and I was told to go home, middle of my graduate collection. And then I was in home, I was at home in Devon and I'd imagined myself doing all of these graduate shows and having my end of degree show at Loughborough and then going to new designers in London and kind of meeting with industry and showing my collection of designs and potentially working for different brands in London but that just didn't happen and so I was at home in Devon and I got a residency back at my foundation course so I was at a few days a week where I could think about what I really wanted to do start looking at grants start looking at funding I had the support from peers other graduates who I was with and the tutors and also the kind of inspiration and energy that came from the foundation students that I was working with because they were so full of life and ideas and motivation and it was so refreshing to see because they were on the other side of that university journey so that was a great environment for me to start thinking about what do I want to do with my time and the ideas that I have and I started engaging with my enterprise network at my university so Loughborough University's enterprise network were I was, I was still working with them. They've been an incredible resource for me. I've learned so much about entrepreneurship and business because that's not taught in arts degrees or I think a lot of degrees, to be honest. The, the kind of bricks and mortar of business, it can't really be taught in academia. Because so I, I learned a lot of that through courses that I did with them and that slowly started to build my confidence again, kind of that. Ex external validation and things happening and meeting other people and I think one of the most important things I found is surrounding myself with people who are going through similar things and people that I find aspirational and are doing things that I would really like to do but I find them a bit scary and I think by kind of networking and by meeting those people I can kind of get a look into what the day-to-day -day life is and start learning about I don't know, people I need to speak to or different ways I need to think about what I'm doing. And it was when I was in Devon that I applied for the Young Innovators Grant, which has been absolutely life-changing. It has been a massive accelerator for me to be introduced to people who are doing incredible things. So other people on the Young Innovators Award are raising kind of a half a million pound investment for a like a medical um implant that replicates bone structure and that's wildly different to where I was when I was coming out of university and so it comes back to that surrounding yourself with people I mean there's that saying that you are you become the five people that you surround yourself with yeah yeah and and as you say it doesn't necessarily need to be people exactly on the same journey that you are you, you if they're if they're going through a similar process but with a, in a different in a different business or a different idea but still you can generate similar sorts of ideas and thinking because the sort of premise of getting a a new business off the ground has all the sort of hallmarks you know sales and marketing is it a good product how do we get it out there all that sort of stuff is the same isn't it so it's, it sounds like you're an excellent network and you saw what needed to be done within your sphere so in terms of the actual hat bag that you produce why did you decide, I mean, I can see from your background that 
your eyes have been open to environmental issues. Was it an obvious choice to make your designs incorporate all that other side of your experience? Yeah, I kind of see my world having come together from activism and design and entrepreneurship now. And I find those three quite hard to grapple with and to pull into one solution. And so I've, I'm often very conflicted about kind of what I'm doing and if it's right for me, for the planet, for what makes me happy, if it aligns my values. And so I decided that actually a product-based business would be an amazing way to learn all of the kind of obstacles that sustainable fashion businesses struggle with and they the hurdles that they come to when they're designing or they want to make their supply chain more ethical or sustainable. And so I kind of decided on a design, which was the the fun, nice, easy bit for me that I really enjoyed. And that was kind of secondary to actually what I really wanted to do was to make a radically transparent fashion business. So I was looking at lots of brands and even throughout my final year when I was looking at fabrics and I'd kind of ask, I'd go into a shop and I'd say, oh, where is, do you know where this is from? Do you know who made it? Do you know if they're paid a fair wage? And they either wouldn't know or they wouldn't tell me. There was just a, it felt like I was walking into brick wall after brick wall as both uh, like a business owner. And then not to mention all of the greenwashing that happens in the fashion industry, which is, has always been a huge frustration because knowing about textiles and what happens in supply chains, when you see certain large brands dishing out very generalized statements about their collections or their fabrics or the impact that's having. It's really frustrating when I kind of talk to people about it and the everyday consumer doesn't know any better. They they will take on board what these big brands are saying and they'll kind of feed it back to me and say, oh, but X, X company is doing this. Isn't that amazing? And I'm like, it's, um, yeah, it's it might seem amazing on the surface, but actually that is still feeding their capitalist business model, which wants you to buy more, waste more, take more. They're not entering all of that recycled garments into a circular system yet. There just isn't the infrastructure for that. And so transparency has always been front and center for me. And I want to tell people where my suppliers are. I want to show them that my employees are paid, are paid a fair wage. And this was the idea that I went into Young Innovators with. I wanted to create an accessories brand where on the QR code, on the label, it tells you exactly where it was made, how it got here, how much my seamstress has paid in Bristol, um, showing that it's way above the living wage. And people have responded so well to this. Um, I've had feedback from industry, so Sustainable Fashion Week and Good On You and people from Future Leap as well, that this is really, really needed. And brands often struggle themselves to communicate all of this really niche detail. And consumers as well are just, they're so excited to know what's happening because no, no one tells them anywhere else. And so I think a lot of people do find it really interesting. Something I've, especially around kind of payment and profit and wages, I think that's a really interesting place to start exploring because I, I do think a lot of companies are quite hesitant to talk about their profit margins. And so I, I definitely I need to dig a little bit deeper into that because 
there's reasons why and it could have huge impacts on their sales which is at the end of the day what keeps the business going and allows them to continue making garments and products so it's yeah a product-based business at the moment but what aligns most with my values is the transparency I think yeah I'm kind of pivoting at the moment and shifting but it's it's all happening well and that's the thing isn't it you are starting from this premise of what you want your ideal business to look like and then putting it in practice obviously has its challenges and I like the fact that you are slightly hesitant there and that you know that that there is going to be some toing and froing, isn't there? I guess as you develop or expand, depending on what your ambitions are. And as you rightly say before, it's complex. So there's no sort of, if you do this, it'll hit everything. You know, you're doing, you can say everything is perfect in the world. And that's, that obviously is an aspiration that's potentially <laughs> unlikely to be achieved but I think what you've done so far is is amazing because what you've described there is all on your website isn't it that this this yeah. radical transparency has there has there been any doubt in your mind over putting all that information out there to date has it has there been any backlash from you, you've sort of you've decided on a mission and you've gone for it has there been any unexpected oh I wasn't ex- you know I I didn't know that that was going to happen so I went into it thinking I can tell everyone where the farmer is located for my cotton and I learned quite quickly that the reason no one knows is because it is incredibly complex and it's we're so far removed from that part of the supply chain that it is really tricky to get hold of that information and to be honest people aren't saying because most people don't know because when a, a cotton farmer in Brazil creates cotton, they will lump all of their crops together with several farmers um, to be able to sell it to the market. So actually the cotton that you're using will come from a different farm every single time that you order. And it could be that your one roll of cotton has come from many, many different farmers. And so tracking that at scale is a huge problem and I think it's a problem that needs to be tackled with technology and I think that is the way forwards there's been some someone told me about some Egyptian cotton that had been I think tagged with I think RFID tags so it's um, like a little electronic chip that will go on the cotton and follow it through the supply chain and it was found that that cotton actually didn't come from Egypt at the end of it <laughs> so, excellent <laughs> so it's good stuff it's a, a huge huge problem that um I think industry is only beginning to tackle and there's huge projects happening that are so incredibly expensive and are happening with really really big brands but I think movement is happening but it's just it feels like it's not going quick enough yeah and did you find you were in fact able to source materials that you knew where they were or could you could you could actually say they are from this particular area they've been through this process because you could have gone oh my god this is way too complicated I'm just gonna have to abandon that idea yeah so 
relationships is a huge part of all of this which is funny because you think oh it's just data and it's just information that I need relationships wouldn't be part of it at all but um I have a great relationship with my wholesaler who I buy my cotton from they're located in Wales they're called organic textile company they're great and they have a really good relationship with the factories that they buy all of their cotton from so it's a family-run factory in India um I know the location of that factory and I've got information on kind of the ethical reports from a third party that we conducted in that factory. But the the origin of the cotton that I'm using, the information that I got back from them was it's from India and it will be a different location for every role. And that was the most that I could get. And I think it's that is the most information that a lot of a lot of companies without investing a lot of money into tech that's the level you'll be able to get yeah okay so perhaps at this point i can see how it's all come together perhaps you ought to describe what it is your accessory looks like so somebody can visualize all the love that's gone into this particular accessory of course so my brand overbloom we or i create a hat bag which is a hat made from organic cotton and it looks a lot like a bucket hat or a summer hat and within the brim it has a handle so it turns into a hat bag so it's a multifunctional hat bag that's designed and made here in Bristol so I made a few of them and I've also worked with an incredible seamstress called Izzy and she now makes by hat bags um, and it's I feel so lucky to have again form such a lovely relationship with my seamstress who is so local she um she lives about five minutes from my old studio so I could just literally drop it off her studio was about four minute walk down the road I'd kind of go and drop off all of my bits of cotton to her and I paint I hand paint some of the designs and they're all in limited edition runs of just 15 of each just to keep them super small um they're really bespoke all of the hand-painted designs are completely unique because I literally hand-paint all the fabric. It's not something that I've, I hand-painted and I sent off to get printed in a repeat pattern. So they're all unique. And they've definitely been the best sellers, the um, hand-painted design. People just love, I think, the artist touch that comes with that. And that, that for me, feels completely natural and it's fun and kind of exciting. And then with each of the hat bags, there's a QR code on the label. And if you scan the QR code with your phone, it takes you to a visual infographic report, which talks to you about the material origin and the provenance of all of the components of that hat and the journey that it's been on to go from India and the amount of miles that's traveled by ship and the carbon that's been um, emitted through all of that transportation. So that's the, yeah, that's the product. And in, in putting this together and formulating your designs, has it lived up to your expectation of what, I don't know whether you haven't actually used the word sustainable, do you view it as a sustainable business? I think sustainable is an interesting word and I'm sure you'll agree with me here that I think it's been hijacked by certain industries and certain companies and I don't think describing describing my company as sustainable to the general population is what gets across the idea of what I'm doing but actually that word doesn't sit well with me something like transparent 
or ethical those are words that fit much better with me but when I first walked into a fabric shop about seven months ago and I said to the man on Berwick Street I said I'm looking for fabric that is like transparent and how it's made um and he started talking to me about PVC <laughs> okay <laughs> about see-through plastic and I yeah. was like ah it's <laughs> like uh, no okay I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna leave now <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a tricky word and I think the language has a long way to go and we've come leaps and bounds from 50 years ago when kind of sustainability wasn't around it wasn't a word that existed but now I don't think it has a true meaning and I think words like transparent and circular so the circular economy and circular systems they mean a lot more than kind of sustainable and recycling which actually have been hijacked What's the most important aspect, if there is such a thing, within your business that feels that sums up that whole ethical, social, environmental? Is is there one aspect that you, you've got to nail to f- make it feel right and everything else is additionally helpful or or is it just a collection? For me, it's transparency because with transparency comes accountability and visibility and acknowledgement and that is always the first step to changing what we currently are working with so if everyone was talking about exactly where they make things how much people were made the factories that they were using the conditions that workers garment workers in the global south are working in that would almost certainly change consumer behavior and consumer behavior is what shapes all of these companies sales is what drives them and if the consumers stop buying from them that would force them and make them so painfully uncomfortable financially that they would have to change their supply chain so for me it's transparency excellent and I wonder when in terms of you're right at the beginning of your career what your future ambitions are and whether you and sort of a growing movement have how much influence you have on the wider fashion business so where where are you going and what influence do you think you'll have so i want to move away from being a product-based business i want to move into creating a service that will help other businesses become more transparent in their supply chains so enabling some kind of tracking software that would allow visibility over a company's supply chain and then being able to link that to each product and for that information to be changed so live updates of if the supplier changed or if the manufacturer changed and also visibility over that consumer life cycle as well so if they want to send it back for repairs if they want to recycle it if they want to reorder it if they want to somehow engage with that product again not only does that allow the customer to be able to have you know communication with the original supplier but it allows the company who manufactured it to have visibility over what their consumers doing and I think that the data that could be harnessed from that is so so powerful because it would create a full picture over how customers are really engaging with the products that they're buying I think there's a lot of potential for it, especially within um, like authenticating fake goods or like luxury goods um, that has huge potential for that. So that 
is my focus that's what I would really like to work on um, I'm about to go work in Spain for a few months with an organic cotton manufacturer and they work with farmers in Brazil and they kind of oversee the whole of that supply chain from farmer to spinner to weaver and then they distribute and sell that fabric so I'm really hoping to get a lot of niche insight into how they work their supply chain the struggles that they have within that and I think I can take a lot of those learnings and help other companies with that and so that's the kind of immediate next three months so I'm leaving Spain in a few weeks and that's for three months um and then I'm looking to create a service that will help other businesses and I think the impact of that could be huge I think food is an industry that's leaps and bounds ahead of where fashion is so there's there's a lot of work being done there over kind of tracking of like carbon um, within food chains and the visibility over where it's come from so I mean things like wine you know you know exactly the farm where your grapes have come from but that just doesn't happen within fashion I think we can learn a lot from other industries and yeah that's that's my vision I see all fashion brands being fully transparent which would force the hand of them to have more ethical supply chains that would benefit both the garment workers and everyone involved in that supply chain as well as the planet because the whole the whole thing is interconnected and you you can't kind of ignore the issue of um like racism that exists within within fashion and the kind of the cultural nuances that exist within countries where we source all of our fabric from that needs to be addressed and accounted for when we're looking at so it's a, a huge huge issue but I'm just kind of starting to delve into all of these topics and again gaining the confidence myself that it's something that I can learn about and even if I'm not an expert in this field it doesn't mean that I can't tackle it it just means I need to talk to the right people and be in front of the right people at the right times to be able to make change happen Absolutely. That sounds super exciting. And I wonder this view, this, the vision that you have, it sounds, it sounds well needed. Do you think because the fashion business can be very linear and you talked about a circular economy whereby we continue to reuse the resources rather than more ending up in landfill. Do you think the fact that you'll be able to have that transparency through will sort of drive the circular part of the fashion business? Absolutely, because it will allow brands to keep a hold of those materials that they've produced because producing a ton of cotton takes an incredible amount of money and energy and light and water and carbon, all of those things. And so to just throw that away would would be ridiculous because you're throwing away all of these natural resources that you've put in. Whereas if you could take all of that back, you're saving so much I mean it takes energy to recycle all of it and to reprocess it but that doesn't compare to what it would take to create a new ton of virgin cotton so I think having that transparency and visibility over all of these materials will definitely allow for us to start working with system change and that's what needs to happen for the circular economy to to exist in within the infrastructure that we have and we're not there yet our kind of systems and infrastructure doesn't support it but we're working towards it and there's 
so many incredible people and companies doing work towards it. To wrap up then, it's been fascinating hearing where you've been where and where you're going. What are your thoughts and feelings then? I'm, I'm getting a sense of, you, you know, you're going out there and you're, you're going to make stuff happen. What are, what are your thoughts and feelings about the future of transparency within the fashion business? I think it's 100% the way forwards. And I think consumers are starting to, now they're starting to acknowledge that certain materials are recycled or organic and that's starting to mean something to them. And so I think soon enough, people kind of will start seeing this and more big news stories will come out about, you know, greenwashing and bans on certain um, sustainability indexes which is already starting to happen and that's starting to get into mainstream media and once that mindset shift with consumers starts to happen it will be a snowball effect and transparency will become widespread within the fashion industry like it is starting to happen with food I think it will just take a little while to get there yeah, but you've got time. <laughs> you've got time, Jess. I've got, I've got lots of time, um, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for this thoroughly interesting conversation we've had today. Um, I can't thank you enough. It's been it's most illuminating. And I wish you every success with your new new ventures ahead of you. Oh, thank you. It's been, yeah, lovely, lovely to talk to you. And it's been really nice for me to think back to things that have happened and kind of look at them in a fresh light and with a different perspective as time and distance between events always give to you. So thank you. Absolutely. You are most welcome. Jess is impressive, isn't she? She is seizing the day and making what she does in the world count. It is listening to stories such as Jess's that I feel hopeful about the future. She's not taken an easy route into fashion because she now holds an environmental lens in front of her. With her creativity and enthusiasm alongside her curiosity into how things work and not accepting the status quo as the only way, she is striving for change. I look forward to seeing how her quest to make the fashion industry more transparent progresses. For links to Jess, take a look in the show notes. I'd like to thank Andy Shaw for audio editing, Jeremy Jones for providing the music and to you for listening. Don't forget you can follow the podcast to get automatic access to each new episode. And it would be lovely if you could rate, review and share it too. It really helps. Until next time, bye for now.